Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're exploring the theme of responsibility in Harry Potter. To start us off, we've got a quote from Prisoner of Azkaban, where Harry is living in Diagon Alley and considering what to do with his gold. He needed to exercise a lot of self-control, not to spend the whole lot at once. He had to keep reminding himself he had five years to go at Hogwarts and how it would feel to ask the Dursleys for money for spell books. Which is pretty admirable for a 13-year-old kid. Right? I mean, that is 100% what I would have been like as a 13-year-old kid. It's 0% what I would have been like. <laughs> but considering Harry and his personality, this is a lot of self-control. And like, it's, I mean, it's really sad that he has to be responsible at mm-hmm. 13 years old to manage his finances for school and, you know, knowing that he'll have to for the rest of his life. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, not to say that there's a one-to-one correlation between circumstances and characteristics, but I think that in his case, this is an example of how he has learned through not having, ever having the Dursleys to rely on, really, that there's some ways in which he has to rely on himself. And, And maybe that doesn't mean having a roof over his head or clothes, but certainly it's not appropriate clothes or probably nutritional food and other kinds of aspects or a non-abusive household but yeah i think that some of this kind of self-reliance probably came from that element of just needing it in that environment growing up yeah and i think it could go different ways for some people growing up with very little then when they actually have something they might not manage it the best Mm -hmm. or they might manage it way better than everyone around them yeah totally just think about ron in this situation (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean that was the thing in the next book when they're at the quidditch world cup and he's like oh i saw these omnoculars why did i spend money on these other random things and if he had saved more of his money than Maybe by that point, if he didn't want to go in those hideous Yule Ball robes, he could have bought something different. I'm sure there is a secondhand wizarding store somewhere. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Probably in Hogsmeade. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he's definitely the opposite. (laughs) I mean, he does. I mean, he hasn't had a lot of extra cash on him, Mm -hmm. but he does get... Hermione and Harry a Christmas present and a birthday present, you know. Totally. So, so he it's not like he just spends all of his money on him, but he does seem to spend all of his money. <laughs> but I think also he has never really had to have the responsibility of needing to provide for himself, of needing to think so far ahead because he has things that he needs, even presents and things like that, that more falls in the kind of wants category. Mm-hmm. And... Harry is really weighing. He has all these things that he wants, but he also recognizes the needs. And I think Ron would have more trouble with that aspect because his needs have so much been taken care of, even in a family that is not economically doing great. He's always got a huge breakfast. He's always got clothes. He's always got things taken care of for him. Yeah, he's not worried about them getting kicked out of their place or not having enough food to eat or things like that. 
So for him, money is more a source of embarrassment or Mm. shame that he doesn't have as much as he thinks that he should whereas for harry he's not seeing it that way at all because he never had any allowance Mm. or anything up until this point he finds out he has bundles of money and yeah he looks at money in terms of what he needs to survive yeah which is is definitely a responsible way to look at it yeah i also like just from what it sounds like and the way that his Green God's Vault is described, he also just may not really understand how much money he has because it sounds like he's got a small fortune. I mean, that conversion rate is really confusing. <laughs> That's true. So we're confused too, Harry. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, should we get into what character you brought today? Sure. I want to talk about a young Mr. Harry Potter. Hmm. I think that that Harry certainly has moments of irresponsibility. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) But also his character, you know, especially when you look at holistically, you're looking at the whole series, Harry as a character, his life is literally defined by the responsibility of facing and defeating Voldemort. His life is directly connected to Voldemort's defeat, where, where he, his life has to be given in order for Voldemort to be defeated. And so much responsibility in that and in his society are thrust upon him from a young age. First as a symbol of peace for people who see him as a celebrity, as someone who symbolizes the overthrow of Voldemort the first time, and then in the second Wizarding War, a symbol of resistance where he was then the one who's taking up the banner of leading everyone who's fighting against Voldemort, even if he's not logistically leading them, but being that symbol uh, of resistance. And all of this is done before he turns 18. And it's just so much responsibility for a child to carry and to be put on a child. I think that, that Harry has a really interesting way of often choosing to take responsibility for things on himself. He thinks that it's it's up to him to stop Snape from getting the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> yeah. Or it's up to him to save Ginny in the Chamber of Secrets. Or it's up to him to find out what Draco's up to. He has a saving people thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he also has had so much of that responsibility put on him in ways that he had no real choice in. And in both ways, I think that despite his kind of small moments of irresponsibility, I think that for the most part, he does meet those responsibilities. He does kind of step up, you know, when he's a Hogwarts champion, when he is the chosen one, when he is a Horcrux, like all of these things are things that he didn't choose, but he does fulfill and he does go forward in. Yeah, I think that he's special in part because he takes his responsibilities so seriously and he does rise to meet them in so many ways. You know, when when the chips are down, he will make the selfless move. He will possibly put himself into danger, literally give up his life in order to do the right thing or in order to help other people. Or he'll put himself into the position of teaching his fellow students 
even though if they find out he can get expelled and this is the only place that yeah isn't abusive well i mean it is abusive (laughs) is uh not his family setting abuse yeah 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 absolutely and and even then it's not something that he sought out he wasn't saying i need to go teach people it was Hermione being like, you need to go teach people. <laughs> yeah. And then Ron being like, yeah, actually, that's a great idea. And Harry being like, is it though? But what? I guess. Okay. And then excelling at it. And because I think in part because, yeah, he, he takes it seriously. I'm a teacher and there are times when I'm like, oh, I don't want a lesson plan, <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. Harry seems really motivated to, to do that because he sees how important it is. I mean, you'd probably be more motivated if you were lesson planning for magic. I mean, absolutely, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just, again, why I don't understand why they avoid their homework so much. You're learning magic. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so yeah, I just, I think that that the series, and and when I was thinking about this theme with the series, I, I just was seeing in so many ways that Harry has a lot of responsibilities put on him. And they're not the kinds of responsibilities that you usually think of when you think of a teenager. It's not chores and grades and these other kinds of things though he has grades at least but there's other pressures on him and responsibilities that are put on him that he he takes up um to the best best of his ability yeah and i think his his final decision of walking into the forest to his death he knew what he was giving up Other times, yes, he was willing to risk his life to save people, help people, defend people, and whatnot. But it wasn't a sure thing he was going to die. But in that case, it was a sure thing. Yeah. And I think that that spell that his mother did for him with her death and that he then does for all of those fighting at the Battle of Hogwarts, sacrificing himself for them, it's a way of taking responsibility for their safety. It's saying, this is the decision that I need to make, and the right decision is for me to, to take that responsibility onto myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even I kind of wonder if him using a disarming spell and oftentimes, yeah, avoiding things that can hurt people more, or obviously kill people, I wonder if that stems from a sense of responsibility as mm-hmm. well. I could see that, yeah. That, like, he does feel responsible for the spells that he casts, even if it's in self-defense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, why Septim Sempra is such a pivotal moment, because he is being irresponsible with his spell work there mm-hmm. in a way that he usually isn't, and it goes pretty badly. Yes. Yeah. Well... Why don't we get into your plot point? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about the trio hunting Horcruxes in book seven Mm. because, you know, they have kind of different levels of responsibility. And I think Harry very much feels the weight of the responsibility on his shoulders to save the world like you were talking about. And I think it's, it's his sense of responsibility and the fact that this task was assigned to him by Dumbledore and that really gives him the determination to keep going even when doubts pop up in regard to Dumbledore, even when Ron leaves, even when he breaks his wand, he's really determined to keep going and I think that that really is 
because of the sense of responsibility he feels Mm. to the world. And I think he feels a lot of responsibility, but I think that Hermione is the one that, like, shows a lot of responsibility. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, she uses all of the knowledge that she's gained over years of hard work at Hogwarts to allow them to survive and figure anything out you know she packs their traveling gear with books and potions and all kinds of things that can be helpful and ready to go anytime mm-hmm. she's you know she's the one who enchants her bag so that they can take all of this and she figures out the food for them even when ron is whining about it and she makes Harry not immediately recognizable when the Snatchers catch them. You know, she's the one, like, doing all of these logistical things. And I think a lot of that is because she put in all of the work ahead of time. So yeah. that she knows that when she notices this strange symbol on the book that Dumbledore left her, she's trying to read things in runes. And, you know, she actually has the knowledge to try to figure different things out. Yeah, I think she is just the responsible one on that trip. Without her, they all would have been dead or yeah, I mean, they would have been dead. <laughs> yeah. Or they, I mean, they wouldn't have even left the wedding. Like, they wouldn't have been able to do anything. They would have been caught. They would have starved. They would have frozen to death. Like, all of the things would have happened without Hermione there to take care of everything. And I really love the scene in the movie of the Deathly Hollows Part 1. It's right after Ron was splinched. She yells at Harry to get the Dittany, which she knows is in her bag, and she brought in case something like this happened, Mm -hmm. right? And his wounds start to close, and then she automatically gets up and starts, like, putting up the protective wards. Doesn't even stop to, like, clean the blood off of her hands, and I feel like that scene is, like, so much of Hermione and her sense of responsibility keeping literally everything together (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and i think it it not only comes after years of preparing herself but unfortunately it also comes after her years of her enabling harry and ron to get away with not being prepared i mean there's that but there's also years of her learning that they won't do it you know like if she doesn't do it they're doomed you know so chicken or egg situation, <laughs> not totally sure. But I think Ron, though, I'm not sure what sense of responsibility he has on this hunt. I feel like he's there more for support, which he doesn't do very well for at least part of the time. Yeah, I think that he's there more because he loves his friends and he wants to help his friends rather than really feeling the weight of the responsibility towards the rest of the world which is why when he gets in this big fight with them he just leaves Mm -hmm. whereas Hermione or Harry if they got in that same big fight they would never consider leaving because the reason that they are there is not for each other it's for the world 
And I mean, obviously, they want to be there for each other as well, but that's not the top priority. So yeah, I was just thinking that their various levels of active responsibility are kind of demonstrative of how the trio is interacted throughout all of the books. Just think about book four with the first task. Hermione doing all this research, trying to figure out how he can survive the dragon. And Ron is just being sulky and not participating at all. Yeah, I think that it's it's kind of a trend since the beginning. And I mean, obviously, I think it's important to note that part of that's gendered as well. And, and I mean, I think there's some amount of personality, whereas Hermione is a little bit more controlling and she's smarter. So she like understands better what is required. But also, oftentimes the, the boys are just being lazy and not pulling their weight. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I mean, I guess Harry dies for everyone at the end. So he pulled his weight in the end. <laughs> I guess he pulls some weight. Yes. <laughs> What are Ron. you doing, Ron? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is, like, without Ron there, they wouldn't have been able to succeed in the quest because of narrative reasons. Because he had to be there to show up to help out with the sword and stuff like that. Without Hermione there... I mean, there, he wouldn't if Harry just woke Hermione I mean, that's true. before he followed this doe. <laughs> but without Hermione there, they wouldn't have succeeded because they just would have died. They would have... <laughs> eaten poisonous mushrooms their first day out and or they frozen just, to death. I don't even think they would have tried the mushrooms. I think they would have tried to steal some food <laughs> and they would have gotten caught. The snatchers would have shown up. Voldemort would have come and they would have been dead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do appreciate in terms of the writing is it's not like, oh, suddenly everything's different when they're on this mm. adventure outside the walls of Hogwarts. Like, no, the trends that we're very prevalent in their relationships with each other just continue and in some ways are exacerbated because now there is all of this extra stress and pressure and danger yeah that's interesting well should we move into our compelling questions that sounds like a great idea so what do you have for me so i was wondering what your favorite or least favorite moments of irresponsibility in the series (laughs) are Oh, dear. There's so many. I think Hagrid's classes are just really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, you should not be a teacher. This is not okay. It's dangerous. Yeah. Um, students didn't sign waivers. At or, the very least, if you're a teacher, someone else should be writing your lesson plans. <laughs> so, yeah, that's frustrating to say the least i also really don't like how after septum sempera everyone except hermione is kind of making excuses Mm. or like not holding harry accountable obviously harry told them so i think he feels bad to some degree but then other people around him like are not like, they're supporting him in his dangerous, violent behavior. And Hermione's the only one who is saying, this isn't okay, and you yeah. need to get rid of that book because it's dangerous. And then Jenny's just 
insulting to her when she's trying to to make Harry have some responsibility for what he's done, you yeah. know? So that one also frustrates me. Not to say that it's not realistic for teenagers, mm-hmm. but I'm just like, no, Hermione's right. Stop being mean to her. Listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is not quite on that, but I think it should be mentioned. The fact that Hermione gave them those planners to help them stay on top of their studies mm-hmm. that would say ridiculous, like, <laughs> just... The, the worst phrases, motivational phrases. Yeah, the phrases would not help them want to do it. No. But the fact that, like, that's what she gave them, it's just pretty hilarious and appropriate of course they don't use them which is showing that they really need them mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's like her trying to like give them some training wheels <laughs> like... <laughs> and she probably like believes those statements like she's like yeah that's a really good point mm. like that's a good thing mm-hmm. to keep in mind i you know who who could be reminded about this harry and ron <laughs> <laughs> Another one that's great, and this also involves Hermione, is her Bogart is just McGonagall telling her that she failed her classes. And, like, part of that's, like, achievement, but some of those things, like, go hand in hand, I think, for Hermione. And it makes me laugh because to this day, like, I've been out of university for a decade, and... I still will have stressful dreams that there is a paper due in a class I'm taking that I just forgot to write or I haven't even started reading my sources. I will still have stress dreams about that to this day. So I'm like, I get you, Hermione. So it's so funny. I've never had those dreams in my life. That doesn't surprise me. I recently had the first (laughs) dream of me like back in high school that I've had in years and it was stressful because of like social situations. Of course. I was like seeing people I hadn't seen in a long time and that was yeah. that was the problem. <laughs> things that stress you out. Yeah. The things that stressed me out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. What about you? Yeah, I, I had a couple that I enjoy for, for like narrative reasons. I appreciate them sneaking out to go to the restricted section in the library. Like, using the invisible cloak to do that. That's a fun type of thing. Totally the kind of thing that I would do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the things that that kind of bug me are things like Harry not preparing for the second task. Oh, my God. (laughs) Harry. And Hermione being like, have you figured out the egg yet? And then he doesn't want her ass. And he's like, yeah, I figured it out. Exactly. And, like, (laughs) it bugs me now because I would have 100% done the same thing at that age. (laughs) And I would have been Hermione being like, Chris, have you figured out the egg yet? And then the other thing that bugs me is them taking the car to Hogwarts. Bad life choices. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that that there's a lot lot more that we could go into. Basically anything (laughs) that Fred and George do. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, Besides actually maybe creating their shop. Although, didn't they have love potions? Or maybe that was... They, they had, like, a whole love section. Oh, okay. So, I think yeah. probably. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although, some of the things were quite useful. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially to students. Yeah. As a high schooler, if I had a skiving snack box, I would use that no question. <laughs> I mean, I guess at least 
they're not contracted with the aurors or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, yes. (laughs) At least they're like, we're going to do this so everyone can enjoy jokes instead of the aurors can terrorize people. (laughs) Well, what's your compelling question for me? Mine isn't exactly a question. It's a discussion because we've talked about this off mic and and we've mentioned some things before on mic, but, you know, really to get into talking about the responsibility that Dumbledore has to Harry versus to the student body versus to the world. So what do you think? Yeah, I think that those are the things that he tends to to be juggling throughout Mm -hmm. the series. It's clear that Dumbledore does have a hierarchy of those, where he values his responsibility to the world above that to students, above that to Harry. Although those two can sometimes be mixed back and forth. (laughs) But partially sometimes because Harry is intrinsically involved in the responsibility to the world. True. And... That is one of the things that makes Dumbledore such a compelling character, is that he is a wise and beloved character who does things that can be seen as cold and calculating. Mm -hmm. Because he is weighing the life of the protagonist, another beloved character, Harry, against what is needed for peace and the defeat of Voldemort. Mm Mm-hmm. And so for me, yeah, I, I think that I understand how he is trying to do what's right. And I wouldn't say that he's doing things in a heartless way. It's clear that he feels for Harry. Yet where he fails in his responsibility in particular is by setting Harry up in this awful, difficult position. Mm-hmm. And not giving him all of the information he needs to be successful in that position mm-hmm. and that i think is is my problem with dumbledore where i feel dumbledore should have done more it does make me feel more complicated about the, the character than i did before reading the deathly hallows and before really kind of thinking about these types of ideas because you know i i think i've probably said this in the podcast before like sometimes when i'd go back and want to reread the books i would just want to reread the chapters at the end of the books where Dumbledore meets with Harry and explains stuff and they have a kind of debrief about it. But seeing that from a perspective that sees Dumbledore knowing from the first that Harry would have to die and it might be permanent, it does give me, yeah, a kind of sour taste in my mouth because Harry's still a child. Mm -hmm. And after seven books worth of seeing things from Harry's perspective, seeing him grow up, seeing the way that he adores Dumbledore. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's complicated. There's just a lot of things going on. There is the piece where it's like, he didn't know everything from the beginning of the series. Like he has an increasing amount of information. So at the end of the first book, it's like, okay, so now we have definitive proof that Voldemort's still around. I thought so, but now we know for certain. Then by the end of the second book, it's like, okay, somehow Voldemort was partially in this book. What's going on with that? Research that more. Then by the 
fifth book, he is certain that Harry and Voldemort's minds are melded in certain ways at certain times. And then partway through the sixth book, he knows for certain that Voldemort created Horcruxes. He thought that that was true, but now he knows for certain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think having information be constantly evolving and becoming more complicated particularly in relation to this boy yeah i think it it does make dumbledore's actions towards harry also get increasingly complicated and the fact that we don't always know how much he knew at what points in time we don't know how long he suspected certain things you know and mm -hmm. so it it makes it murkier. Yeah, and I certainly, I think my headcanon probably gives Dumbledore more credit than might be true. Mm -hmm. That he tends to make good guesses is kind of one of the things that he says. And I think that he probably knew from after Chamber of Secrets that, okay, this is probably a Horcrux or something similar to it. And started to make plans about what that might mean and started to do his own research and try to find out what he, what he could. I don't think that he should have told Harry then, hey, you might be a Horcrux. <laughs> yeah. But I certainly think that by the time they were meeting in book six, that he should have been more forthright with him than he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, he thought he had more time. But yeah, I mean, he gave Snape the task to deliver some of this information instead of doing it himself, which mm -hmm. is kind of a coward's way. But also then you're like, well, how much of him withholding information from Harry is because Harry did not practice and did not try with oculancy and couldn't close his mind off and Snape could. And Harry has been known to do irresponsible things. <laughs> There's that too. <laughs> yeah, he might just like have Ron evacadabra him to get rid of that piece when it might be essential. You totally, know? yeah. But yeah, it's it's hard. Like, I probably have more understanding for Dumbledore than some people do. Like, I know some people have a really hard time with Dumbledore. And I understand why and, and feel like he was manipulating Harry and, like, grooming him for death. And there's certainly a reading of that. There's certainly some of those things involved. But yeah, I think I have a bit of understanding because... I think for Dumbledore it was that his responsibility was to the world. At the end of the day, all of these people are more important than this one person to Dumbledore, even though he did, I think, care about Harry to some degree. I mean, that's even why sometimes he did irresponsible things with Harry without telling him certain things because he didn't want him to be burdened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everything, including the student body, which I think in his role, he should feel really a ton of responsibility to the students. Or just don't be headmaster. Mm -hmm. Like, if you need to protect the students, hey, McGonagall, you want to be headmaster and I'll just still be here in case? <laughs> That's fine. But yeah, I feel like he really shirks his responsibilities to the students Agreed. in favor of the responsibility to the world, which oftentimes is absolutely necessary to have Harry 
not expelled and Harry to be protected or whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny because I I kind of have two contradictory readings of Dumbledore's headmaster Hmm. because I agree that he is often distracted by his other responsibilities in a way that makes it so that he is not as present and active a headmaster and fulfilling those responsibilities in that way. But at the same time, I can see a reading of Dumbledore choosing to remain headmaster at Hogwarts because he and his ideals believes that if there's any institution that he can keep safe or that he needs to keep safe, it is the education institution. And that that is the most important institution for society. And as an educator, that speaks to me, you know? (laughs) And I think it shows that Dumbledore, even in his... It's not hubris because it's not overconfidence, really. Mm -hmm. Um, But he considers himself more capable than anyone else. So he thinks that if this is the most important job, then it's the one that he should have. I don't know if that's actually the ideology ideology he has. It's never explicitly laid out. But that, I think, is a more positive reading for Dumbledore than many of my other readings of him. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though... It ultimately does lead to him, again, to be a distracted headmaster and maybe not the best for the job in regards to ensuring day-to-day there's good education. But if he's looking at a higher level of just making sure the institution itself is safe from both outside violent threats and from the threats of bureaucracy, mismanagement that come with the Ministry of Magic and other kinds of things. Propaganda. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I've got complicated feelings there as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I think part of him being headmaster is also so that he can hire someone like Trelawney and he can hire someone like Snape who are important, again, for that end goal. Totally. Which may not be good for the students, but he probably justifies a lot of things by being like, well, all the students being dead, death eaters, or in some way enslaved is worse for them but yeah it's it's complicated it is complicated (laughs) (laughs) but definitely very very fascinating to me those characters keep yielding new ways of looking at things or new questions which i appreciate even if I don't agree with everything the characters do. It can still, to me at least, be more interesting. Absolutely, yeah. But why don't we move into our missed opportunities? What do you have? So my missed opportunity is essentially that we don't see any real social responsibility in the wizarding world to challenge supremacist ideas Mm -hmm. and oppressive hierarchies. Our society that we live in has a long way to go in regards to equality and egalitarianism and and things like that. But at the same time, we have serious movements of feminism, anti-racism, critical race theory, disability politics, you know, other kinds of movements that have had real traction and continue to be important parts of our of our society and we don't for decades on end exactly Mm -hmm. and we don't see much of that in the wizarding world we see a lot of complacency Mm -hmm. um really the only places i can kind of see a more socially minded view of things of of a social responsibility is hermione's activism Mm -hmm. and the quibbler the quibbler (laughs) that's true has its own ideas but 
it's at least trying to do things in a way that is for a social good, that's trying to challenge what they see as... Problematic, propaganda, exactly. brainwashing. Yeah. But I think it's it's frustrating to to not see those in represented in this world. And for the, you know, if the quibbler is going to be one of the best examples, it also kind of <laughs> makes it less serious to even think about the idea of questioning these things and, and fighting back against them. Mm-hmm. Um, because so much of it is all about snarks and how serious Black is a lounge singer and things like that, you know? <laughs> you don't know. Maybe he was. <laughs> And so, yeah, I just, I feel like there's a problem because ultimately it gives the sense that nobody thinks that they have any responsibility to actively challenge the insidious hierarchies that exist in their society that give way to things like Death Eaters and the Voldemorts of the world that open the door for those kinds of ideologies to take hold and be explicit because, yeah, there's no movements saying that this is... Mm-hmm. That this is not acceptable. Yeah, which kind of begs the question, was Dumbledore one of the more quote-unquote progressive people? And so him being at Hogwarts meant that they actually did get a better education? That there wasn't, you know, everything wrong with muggles and why classes, you know? Yeah, I mean, that absolutely could be the case. We really don't know. But we do see that even characters that are quote-unquote good have problematic ways of thinking about muggles or other peoples like even mcgonagall hagrid and so on yeah yeah so yeah not to mention other magical creatures that aren't wizards and witches things like that that we've talked about in the past Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so what's your missed opportunity mine is that characters don't apologize to each other very much in the books yeah and yeah they're just they're not taking responsibility for their actions like Harry almost kills Draco. No apology. He was a total jerk to Cho and made assumptions about her and her friend and that weren't true. And no apology. Sirius bullied and almost killed Snape. No apology and actually continued bullying when he sees him again. You know, and... No one apologizes to Neville that they never even asked about his family, yeah. you know. And so, yeah, I think in these books there are so many opportunities for apologies that don't happen. And yeah, I just think that it would have been better to give kids who are reading the books good examples of characters that we're supposed to like actually take responsibility for their actions. Yeah, that's really true. The one that came to mind as you were saying that um, is probably the first big issue I had with the books, even as a preteen or whatever when I was reading it, which was in The Philosopher's Stone, after they fight the troll, there's a line that's just like, there's some things that when they happen, you're just best friends. Or you can't help liking each other. Yeah, or something, or something like, like that. that. So they're friend, best friends with the Hermione then. And that always sat wrong with me. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I thought it was just because I thought it wasn't well written. But I think another element of it is that it's become such a huge shift in their relationship with no engagement with what their relationship was like before. No apology mm-hmm. for them being mean to Hermione. I mean, mainly Ron, but yes. Yeah. Harry at least not being like, no, Ron, stop being a jerk. Exactly. So, yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. That's a huge issue with the series. 
Yeah, and I mean, sometimes it's like, even if that is realistic, because I think people in general and the world, apologies aren't the easiest thing to do. Particularly a good apology, which is really taking responsibility and showing that you're going to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have any really good examples growing up of good apologizing. Totally, yeah. And so that's why it, it makes me think about yeah, these books and as kids are reading them, and not even just kids, but putting in examples of good apologizing. Yeah, I, re I really think that that would help not only make the characters more admirable, but also, yeah, the books have a little more to give in terms of, of teaching people how to take responsibility and how to be kinder and more understanding and more healthy in the world. Agreed. But why don't we move into our takeaways? What do you have? Yeah, so I think my takeaway uh, stems a lot from your plot discussion because, you know, I've seen people kind of jokingly do like a WWHD, what would Hermione do? <laughs> yes. And I think that can often be a good guide for things. And I'm thinking about how she was so prepared for going on the run. And it just makes me realize how, like, I do not have an earthquake kit ready to go where mm -hmm. if, if a disaster hit us, I'm not prepared for it. I would be a Harrier Ron. Yeah. And uh, maybe I should, I should get on that. Maybe I should take a cue from Hermione and try to be a bit more responsible and prepared. Totally. I, I feel you there. <laughs> well, what about you? What's your takeaway? I think my takeaway is just that sometimes I think in the books... There is very understandable reasons why people don't take responsibility, whether it's age or something like shame in the case of Lupin, mm. where he should have gone to Dumbledore and been like, there's another way for him to get in. We need to do this. But he didn't want to because he was so ashamed of what he had done. Here's a map where you can see if he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Even though, yes, he should have done that, I at least understand why he didn't. And so, yeah, I think that they have in the books both things that are very understandable and then other things that aren't or aren't very explained. And so, yeah, I think my next read-through, I kind of want to pay more attention to some of the underlying reasons that could exist for people not taking responsibility instead of just being like annoyed that they don't. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, that should probably wrap up this discussion. Why don't you bring up what we'll be discussing next time? So we are going to be returning to the Hunger Games and the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And we're going to be looking at those series through the theme of personhood. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.